All right, welcome back to Sigma Talks on part three on marketing and research. And in today's notes, we're going over qualitative a bit before quantitative. And we're now still focusing a bit on focus group, but even more information and other stuff like a bulletin board discussion. <clears throat> so with new technology, we have the possibility to do focus groups online and some benefits with this is you know you can record the session i mean you can still do that even in person but you know it's helpful to view it again you also can save money without you know having to go in person there's no geographical limit and there's a use of mobile that allows people to join you know some cons of that of course is you might not be able to read body language or even facial expression over uh, zoom you might not be able to reach people who have no internet access that you know are your prospects and those are just some cons but you also have bulletin board discussions right and this is where it places you know it takes place within over three to four days and various people will go on an online board discussion and post their thoughts or something that is interesting that is relevant to your question and compared to a online or you know in time focus group this is usually done within an hour or two so you just kind of want to look at the pros and cons of each and see how long you know you actually need for you know time sensitive projects or not but also the pros and cons some cons with bulletin board is that how do I actually yeah, I suck at taking notes with it. Let me look at let me Google it. But you know, it could be, you know, distracting wait, hold on, this is wrong. I feel like I should know this. But my class didn't go that much. But essentially, you know, it may not be the best option, so do further research. <laughs> Uh, anyways, so as I said, you know, I want to reinforce the point in which you want to make sure that you always do more than one focus group because just one is not enough and it's usually only, you know, five to 10 or even 12 participants and you can't base off the entire population just off of like 12 people. So always do at least two or five or as much as you can you know but of course not like 30 focus groups unless you really can and have the time but even so you might not even need that much you know because of the central limit theorem but you know you have to look at the cost structure of like focus groups and this is like per project or you know if it's by the hour or if it's on retainer and generally focus groups can be very expensive because you have to rent out a facility which is like 500 to 750 dollars you must have a moderator which is you know 750 to 2000 dollars per group you also have the recruiting which could be like 85 dollars to 300 and this is like just more about the recruitment and then you also have incentives which could be like 75 dollars to 150 just so that people could you know want to even join you also have hourly calls for meeting which could be like 75 dollars to 150 and then the idis could be from 75 dollars to 500 dollars per idi <clears throat> now with surveys you could do this through the mail or the phone or internet there's you know a whole lot more but i'm just kind of following my notes <laughs> but anyways 
the cost structure for those is like for mail it's five thousand to fifteen thousand and phone is ten thousand to two hundred and fifty thousand and the internet is a hundred thousand or less and you really want to think about recruiting the incentives and the response rate just sort of the pros and cons of each you know with the idis or if you're doing qualitative versus quantitative and also the confidentiality and also you know if you want it to be machine to human or if it's human to human really understand the goals and objectives of each one and in the further episodes i'll talk more about like the surveys and you know which kind you should actually choose for you know if you want to do mail or through the phone or you know have it done through the computer and the pros and cons of each one right so let me see I should be more prepared <laughs> but anyways uh so for quantitative research right so we kind of did all the qualitative now we're getting more into quantitative now and it's basically everything i said idis focus groups and ethnographies but also the bulletin discussion board and those are good places to start and you know especially if it provides you with all the uh answers you need then like you're pretty much done but you know it doesn't hurt to have even more data and this is where quantitative research comes in and so one thing you should remember is to never ask questions on a survey that you can't solve and this includes you know things that are out of your reach for example if someone if you had a brick and mortar chain right or like a physical location and you have public parking and you ask a question about do you like our parking spot and people like 90% of people say no but then you know the government owns that public parking so you can't even do anything so it's like why would you ask that question in the first place instead you actually want to focus on things that you can solve and so this is kind of where we get into an experiment and experiments are studies in which conditions are controlled so that one or more independent variables can be manipulated to test a hypothesis about a dependent variable and that kind of just reminded me i forgot to mention about hypothesis oh but anyways i'll just say now after you create your research objectives you want to create your hypothesis which essentially is you know your assumptions of or your theory of what will happen um and just sort of how people like view or you know whatever your research objectives is and your guess and you know it should be related back to the management of problem the research objectives and the goals of your client or you know your own business whichever you know one you're doing marketing research for but an advantage with an experiment is that you have elimination outside from external stimuli but you also have greater internal validity and some disadvantages with the experiment is that it may not be good analog of the marketplace you know some findings may not hold up in the real world and you know there's a difference between an experiment and a field test and so a field test is an experiment in a controlled setting where it's in the real world and an advantage with this is the elimination of the independent variable with greater internal validity and some disadvantages is that's the same as experiment it may not be your target market you know you have a lack of control over factors that influences the dependent variable and some extraneous variables 
So extraneous variables are variables that affects the dependent variable that are not the independent variable. And this could be like weather, you know, some people could be more moody than others, the attitude of the research partic participant. And you really just want to keep that in mind when you're doing all of these work, right? And so, oh damn. <clears throat> in general, when you choose like a population for sorry i'm just thinking because i said i said we're moving on to quantitative but now i'm talking about something else anyways i'll just continue yapping so anyways if you're doing like the whole us right if you're trying to choose a location that's best applicable to the entire united states some people want might want to choose locations like California, New York, just because it's very populated and you know you think it represents a large diverse demographic, but the actual best place and state to choose for your marketing research is Ohio as it represents the US the best, which may come off like surprising for a lot of people. It it definitely caught me off guard. And you could do test marketing here and it allows for accurate methods of forecasting future sales you know you're in a real world setting or setting and you also have opportunities to uh, pre-test marketing mixed variables as well but some disadvantages includes that it doesn't yield um, infallible results and some competitors may sabotage as well and this you know definitely happened with like Wendy's and I think it was McDonald's or Burger King that was like sabotaging or even like, you know, if you come out with like a product that's on the shelves that's, you know, um, sold off as wholesale, right? You know, competitors may purchase it all out so that no one could ever like receive it. So those are just some things that could happen. And if you want to do the market test process, there are some steps that you can take. And it's seven steps. <clears throat> and the first one is to set the test objective. Second one is to select the type of test. Third is to set the budget. Fourth is to develop the plan. Five is to finalize the market. Six is execute. And then seven is analyze. You really want to keep that one important. Analyzing is really important. And so now that we're actually going on to quantitative, like for real this time, we want to understand what makes a good questionnaire. So one, ask yourself, does it provide decision-making information? And this goes back to what I previously said in you know part two or even earlier in this episode where you want your questions to relate to the research objectives but also the marketing management problem. And you also want it to give you information in which you can make decisions and you know help solve your research objectives. And essentially, the second step is just what I said. You know, it refers to the research objectives and the management problem. The third thing you have to keep in mind is, does it supply the data needed to make the decision? So it goes back to number one. The fourth one is, does it consider the respondent? And this could include having poor design or poor gar uh, grammar, jargon, a confusing survey. You want it to be brief and use simple grammar, but also be clear and avoid technical terms because, you know, most people are only reading 
fourth grade grammar or like fourth grade English. So you want to keep it as simple as possible. And the fifth thing is you want to consider analysis, which is editing and coding. And this is where you're like branching and yeah, branching and skipping and do skip patterns, right? So a skip is a sequence in which questions are asked based on the respondent answers. <clears throat> and this allows you to screen out respondents that you want and don't want as well. As, uh, along with screening out professional survey respondents as well because some people just do it for money and you want to screen those people out so that they're not just doing it for the incentives and so if you have a question that you know you're screening people out then it skips to the thank you or perhaps it skips them to the next question and things like that and when editing you want to ensure that the skip patterns are followed and the questionnaire is completed of course and so there's 10 rules for writing reliable questions. And those 10 rules for writing reliable questions is one, words should only have one meaning. Second, you want to define abbreviations. Third, avoid ambiguous quantifying words such as some and few. Fourth is to use simple, easy to use language. Fifth is to use appropriate words for your target market. Six is to avoid multiple negatives or double negatives, such as I can't never, don't do that. Seven is to avoid technical terms. <clears throat> Eight is to avoid leading and loading questions. This one's really important. So leading questions is, I forgot which one exactly it was, but one of them is suggesting that there is a correct answer and i think the other one is like implying that you should answer another one and it's kind of like the same thing right but it's like so if we're doing marketing research for a restaurant and we want to see the quality of a product uh, a leading or loading question would be something like what do you think of this high quality beef brisket we made and the fact that you know we said high quality create makes it a leading or loading question because then it biases the respondents and kind of inputs the idea that it's high quality already. Number nine is to avoid double-barreled questions. And this means that you're asking two things within one question. So if we go back into the restaurant example, it would be something like, <clears throat> what do you think of our beef brisket and our lemonade and our you know and you're asking way too many things and it has to be one at a time so one one question should be what do you think of our beef brisket the next one will the next question will be what do you think of our lemonade and then so forth only ask one thing at a time number 10 is that it's mutually exclusive and i kind of forgot what it means which uh i should know but essentially this is where it's either it's one or the other and you just want to make sure that it's actually mutually exclusive which means that there's no right or wrong answer but essentially there's opinions are one-sided in a way if that makes sense <clears throat> now with the questionnaire flow you want to actually i'll just save that for the next episode this one's getting kind of long but part four will be about the questionnaire flow uh, the pros and cons of open-ended questions and closed-ended questions and also getting more into sampling 
and the types of surveys and the pros and cons of each one. So that's when we're actually getting deeper into quantitative as well. But I hope this has been helpful for you and I hope it's been interesting. Marketing research is a process and, you know, very fun thing to learn about. And especially if you do it yourself, it's very fun as well with a group of people. So anyways, thank you for listening and I'll see you in part four.